North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you lovely people. It's Dr. Low Radio. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. And for those of you who have been listening, waiting on the live call, I'm so sorry for the delay. I've had some audio issues with Blog Talk Radio, but I am on now. I'm actually on my cell phone because I had to resort to plan B. So hopefully it's clear enough and you guys can hear me. Tonight is going to be a quicker show. We're doing about a half-hour segment. And I wanted to highlight one of my favorite past guests on the show, and that's Dr. Allison C. Becker. She's an expert in the digestive health realm. And as you go, as you guys know, I'm kind of seen by some people as the poop queen. I like talking about poop and digestive health. And it just, I don't know, makes me giggle because it makes people uncomfortable. But it's so important to our health and to just so much related to beyond gut, just brain health and, uh, and hormone balance and detox. And everything is just all centered around the gut. So I love talking about this. And we're talking about a specific condition tonight called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and it's a mouthful. The short term is SIBO. We did a show on this, um, gosh, I think it was a couple years ago. I had Dr. Steve Becker on the show, and, uh, and she's just a wealth of knowledge. She explains things really, really well, and she has an event coming up this weekend called the, the SIBO Symposium. I feel such a nerd that I'm going to be doing a SIBO Symposium all weekend on, you know, during my free time, but I love this stuff because it's so fascinating, and it's really makes a profound difference in health when it gets addressed. I've been treating this a ton in my practice lately, and she's going to be on to share a lot of the, the new information about SIBO and uh, share a little bit about the event that's also available to the public. You don't have to be a, a nerdy doctor like myself. You can be just the average, you know, uh, a homemaker at home, or, or, you know, you can be a businessman or whatever, and you just want to learn more about your health, and, and so that will be available for, for you guys as well. So let's see if my audio is working. Uh, Dr. Seebecker, are you there? Can you hear me? Hi. Yes, I am. Hello. Yay. Oh, my gosh. As I text you, I think my my blood pressure is like 200 over 100. It was like, what is going on? we got to get this information out. And I know your time is really precious. You're just working so hard right now. So thanks for taking the time to come back on the show. Pleasure. I love talking with you. You're just so wonderful, and I'm so happy you want to actually share this information with people. Thank you. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. I think we both geek out about this topic, so it should be a lot of fun. <laughs> so, you know, time is, is, is precious. We're going to have a bit of a shorter show, so I'd love to just dive into it. I know, I think I had you back, was it a couple years ago you were on the show? Yeah, I know. I've, I've been on at least twice talking about this. It must have been probably a year, year and a half ago, something like that. Yeah, and, and this is one of those conditions that we learn more and more about it all the time. So so much new information is coming up, and, and as, as us as doctors, we're, we're trying things with patients, seeing what's working, what's not working. There's a lot of information we can share with each other about, you know, the kind of successes that we're having, and, and you've been so, you know, so gracious to share some of your little clinical pros with me, so I really appreciate that. And let's, let's share a bit more about this condition for, for people on the call. I know for, for many people listening, they probably have heard of this before. Maybe they have it themselves. Um, and they're already being treated for it, and there's going to be other people who have never heard of it before, and this is brand new. So let's take it back to the to the basics for just a few minutes and share like, what is SIBO exactly, 
how might uh, someone listening think they might have it? Um, just give some of the, the background about about this condition. Oh, sure. Well, um, what it is is when the bacteria that normally lives in the large intestine that are good for us, that are supposed to be there, when they migrate backwards and upwards into the small intestine, which is the organ right next to it, and uh, they're not supposed to be there. And it, it turns out it's pretty darn common for them to do this. Really, they they want to do it. Um, bacteria want to grow and expand their territory, and they would do it normally if we didn't have a whole bunch of protective measures to stop it from happening. And it turns out that it's um, it's not all that hard for some of these protective measures or other circumstances to happen and let the bacteria accumulate in the small intestine. And um, the symptoms of this are the symptoms of IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. And um, these symptoms are all too common, unfortunately, which are abdominal bloating, you know, which could either just feel like a sense that your that your abdomen is swelling out or it could physically be distension where it physically swells out. Um, bloating is a terrible symptom that bothers so many people and they walk around saying that they look like they're pregnant, um, whether they're a male or a female. Um, and then there's constipation or diarrhea or a mixture of the two. And lastly, there's pain or sometimes it's not full-on pain, it's discomfort. And those are the main main symptoms of both IBS and SIBO. But also there's some other symptoms that could happen. Um, there could be nausea. There could be farting and burping. There could be acid reflux. Mm-hmm. Often, often there's fatigue. And, um, and extremely commonly there's food reactions or food sensitivities. People can't tolerate foods they used to tolerate before. So it's just an awful conglomeration of symptoms. And, um, you know, these symptoms... They're they're the basic digestive symptoms people could have, and there are so many reasons why a person could have those symptoms, the symptoms of IBS, the symptoms of SIBO, like, you know, probably 40 different reasons, different diseases. Um, But it turns out that SIBO is one of the most common reasons why a person could have those symptoms. And um, it it seems strange for, for... a term or the name of a disorder that's so new, you know, that, you know, it's only been talked about really with the name SIBO for the last like 10 years. But I think mm-hmm. what's going on here is is that um, people have been calling it IBS. And now we're realizing that a majority of the cases, at least 60% of the cases of IBS are actually caused by SIBO. And so there's just a reclassification and, and a change in perspective that's going on with the names of things. And it's confusing for the outsider, but honestly, it's confusing for the insider, too. Yeah. I, I, I uh, prescribe, I subscribe, I prescribe, I'm, I'm in doctor mode. I just finished a station. I subscribe to a bunch of the um, the SIBO forums on Facebook, and it's, it's amazing to see how much people are suffering from this condition. It really is debilitating with the bloating, the pain, just the ongoing, you know, symptoms that just don't get better. And and so many people are suffering from this and, and don't even know that they have it. I mean, 60% of people with IBS having this, it's, it's amazing. Why is it that people don't know about this? Oh, I wish they did. I mean, I think it's just yeah. it's time to spread awareness, you know, and that's what I've yeah. been on a com- campaign of for, for five years now, and the word's getting out there. But, you know, I mean, lots of people who have the symptoms of IBS, no matter what it's caused from, don't go to a doctor. They just live with it. I guess many people who have bloating or maybe 
constipation, they just, they don't think it's worthy of going to a doctor for. Or mm-hmm. maybe they just think the doctor isn't going to be able to do anything. And, and honestly, that's what's so exciting about the new information on SIBO is that in the past that might have been true. With IVF, there wasn't too much to do. But with the information on SIBO, we now have a different approach and some things that can actually really work. So the more the information mm-hmm. can get out, the more we can help people. What are some of the seemingly unrelated symptoms that could be connected to SIBO? I know in my practice I see a lot of depression or anxiety or brain fog, a lot of brain kind of stuff. What are what are some other things that you see that, that people would never really connect to this? Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I didn't mention that. Uh, particularly anxiety and brain fog, you're so right. I see it so commonly. And also fatigue. You know, fatigue can be from an infinite number of reasons. And I know I mentioned it before, but that's debilitating. You know, and people in our society that is so fast-paced and busy and multitasked, people give them a really themselves a really hard time for being fatigued, like like it's somehow just unacceptable, you know. Um, but some of the other symptoms that, can happen are there's a lot of associated diseases that we don't even really understand why they go with SIBO, like restless leg syndrome or acne rosacea. Actually, fibromyalgia um, is associated with it, and there are so many others. SIBO can actually cause lactose malabsorption and fructose malabsorption, so those are associated with it. Of course, those give the same sort of symptoms, and many people can recognize that. But um, one of the other things SIBO can cause is leaky gut. And when somebody has leaky gut, where larger undigested food particles can come across the intestinal lining into the body, well, then the immune system can react to those as a foreign invader in any way it chooses. So it could just be almost any symptom, like headaches, um, skin rashes, upper respiratory uh, symptoms like trouble breathing or maybe mucus in the, in the nose, um, joint pain, it, it kind of goes on and on. So it's just astonishing. You know, a lot of physicians say when when there's dysfunction in the digestive tract, boy, that, that can be a root of almost any problem. Mm. Yeah, and and so much of this, I you know, I'm, I'm sure people listening are thinking, well, what's causing this? Why would I have it in the first place? And and we've talked about some of the causes before, like antibiotics is is a big contributor because you're wiping out that good bacteria, and then you get that essential, um, you know, overgrowth and in the, the migration of of the bacteria. Are there other other things that you see in your practice that are real causes of this? Yes, the most the two most common causes that I see are from getting. First of all, from getting food poisoning, which is also called mm. traveler's diarrhea or stomach flu. That is the most common cause of SIBO, I would say. Um, and, and, you know, actually Dr. Pimentel is going to discuss the reason why that happens thoroughly at the symposium this weekend on, on SIBO. Um, he's been able to completely identify exactly why and how this happens. Um, and then the I'd say the second most common cause would be uh, obstruction, some kind of partial obstruction, which can happen for all kinds of reasons, meaning that there's something sort of smushing in or impeding the the tube of the small intestine and allowing bacteria to accumulate behind that um, that obstruction. That's very very common. And and actually mm-hmm. back to the to the first one, the um, the food poisoning cause. What's really going on there is is that the migrating motor complex, which is a foremost movement that's like peristalsis, but it only happens when we're not eating 
where we think of peristalsis happening to move our food down, this is a little different, and, and it's really almost its whole purpose is to clear bacteria out of the small intestine. So if that goes away, if that migrating motor complex goes away, we're, we're very, very likely to get SIBO, and, and food poisoning is what causes that. There's other things that can cause that, though. There are diseases that inhibit the migrating motor complex, like diabetes and scleroderma and some other ones. Um, and there are some other diseases that uh, sort of slow motility in general, like hypothyroid. So there are there are many reasons mm. why a person can get SIBO. And I've actually asked Dr. Pimentel to come this weekend and really address the underlying causes of SIBO. I know he's got a lot to talk about, so he may not get to every single underlying cause, but um, he's certainly going to try and address it. Yeah, and for people who aren't familiar, who's Dr. Pimentel with, with all the SIBO um, research? Oh, yeah, Dr. Pimentel is um, really the lead researcher on SIBO today. And it's because of him we know so much. And uh, he's been working for about 15, a little longer than 15 years on this topic. And lucky for us, he is uh, he's a clinician, but he's also a researcher. And so he puts a lot of his attention to trying to figure this out. And if it weren't for him, we wouldn't understand a lot about this. And he's done many, many studies mm. on it. So we're very thankful to have him coming um, to talk to us all this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I'm so excited. I'll, I'll be tuning into that from, from San Diego. I am so excited. Um, I have friends inviting me, oh, are you doing this on Saturday? I'm like, no, 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 I'm learning about SIBO. I am stoked. <laughs> so, I'm very so glad you're doing it. it. I'm so oh, glad. Yeah. You know, I would miss it. It's something that's really hard for a lot of doctors, is, and this is what's so wonderful about you, is that, we we really do need to do research on the different diseases so we really know what we're doing. But it's very hard for really for anyone to do it, but particularly a doctor because they're they have very busy schedules. And um yeah. to take the time to do it is just excellent. Just really excellent. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I'm learning more and more as I treat this and I've been treating it a lot in my practice lately. What would you you say for the doctors listening who are starting to treat this? What are common mistakes that you see that doctors make when treating SIBO? I think some of the most common mistakes are not testing. So the way you the way you diagnose SIBO, which is diagnosed in, in studies um, predominantly, um, and the main way it's diagnosed in clinical practice is with a breath test. And uh, the one we mostly use here in, in the states is the lactulose lactulose breath test. It's very common for doctors to just not properly diagnose it. And I think that's a real mistake because, as I mentioned, those symptoms could be from so many things. And, um, I mean, from from as simple as not chewing well to as serious as cancer can cause those exact same symptoms. So we really do need to know what we're dealing with. That's a big mistake. Um, another mistake is um, not not having educated themselves about it, not knowing that the constipated type, um, the type that normally has methane gas, needs a different sort of treatment. So many, many doctors don't know that, and so they just give the most standard basic treatment, which um, which is really meant for the diarrhea type, and it doesn't work for the people with constipation. Um, and so I'm talking there about if you're using antibiotics, you need to use rifaximin combined with either neomycin or metronidazole if you have the constipation type. And if you're using herbs, there's only one herb, herbal antibiotic, that we've ever been able to find so far that um, works on that type, and that's um, allicin, um, which is an extract from garlic. So that is very, very important. 
Um, I think another big mistake that doctors do is that they don't retest. So after you've done your treatment, to check back. This is essential for for assessing not only your treatment but really the diagnosis. I've had this happen time and time again where somebody's still having symptoms. Now, I will say this. If somebody's completely symptom-free, you don't like, you've really done the job right. You don't have to retest because you've been completely successful. But if they're still having symptoms, it's so important to retest because what if the test is negative? What if they really no longer have SIBO? but they still have symptoms. That means there's something else going on. It's essential for a doctor to know that. You have to now go look for what else is happening. What other diagnosis do they have? Very, very important. I can't tell you how many times that has helped me, actually, to really pinpoint the problem. And Mm -hmm. one last thing thing I'll say is um, in the whole treatment scheme of SIBO, almost the most important part is prevention because Currently, uh, we're not we're not able to know how to address the underlying causes in many of the cases. Meaning, how we don't have a cure for many of the underlying causes, particularly that first one I mentioned, the deficient migrating motor complex, because that's due to a nerve damage that, as yet, um, people haven't figured out how to fix. So, when if we're not treating the underlying cause, the condition, no matter what it is, is going to return. So SIBO, unfortunately, where we're at right now with our understanding, it's a condition that's going to relapse for most people. Therefore, prevention, equally important as the first first treatment, maybe even more so. And one of the biggest problems I see is that physicians don't give any prevention. And the two essential preventions are some sort of lower-carbohydrate diet and a prokinetic. Another name for a prokinetic is a motility agent. Um, so it just basically helps stimulate that migrating motor complex. Now, I would add a third one, which is um, to leave at least four hours between meals. Don't snack between meals. Give four hours. And that's to allow a chance for the migrating motor complex to happen because it happens only when we're not eating. So we have to give it some time to do its job. So, that, you know, there's more I could say, but those are the biggest failures and problems I see when doctors, any doctor is treating SIBO. And, it, and it's why it's essential to get, to at least, you know, get some basic education about it. And that can be done easily through my website. And I feel very happy to um, share my website because I'm not really selling anything on it. It's just a free educational website on SIBO. And it's called SIBOinfo.com. And um, docs can look there. I've got I've got all the dosages and everything there, or they could read one of my overview articles. I have one in the Townsend letter on SIBO, and that will give them a good sense. Awesome. Such an awesome um, overview. For, so for people who do get traveler's diarrhea, are they just doomed? Are they probably going to get SIBO? Is there something, you know, in, in the short term that they can do to prevent that from turning into SIBO? Oh, that's such a good question. It, it turns out only about 10%. Well, studies vary, and honestly, the, the rates are quite quite wide, but we'll just say on average, only about 10, 10% of people who get a food poisoning will go on to get SIBO. So that's good news right off the bat. Um, but, you know, still, that's enough because everybody has gotten food poisoning multiple times. So that's right. why even that 10% can turn into a lot of people. Um, but the recommendation right now from gastroenterologists is that when a person is is traveling um, where where they could get gastroenteritis, if they know there's an increased risk where they could get 
could get food poisoning, to prophylactically, preventatively take antibiotics. Um, and they're recommending the one that is used for SIBO treatment, which is rifaximin, um, maybe just like one pill with meal. Um, now, a lot of naturally oriented folks like myself sort of shudder at that idea, and so a lot of us are recommending um, herbal antibiotic in that same scenario. So that's great, but what if you just go down the block to the local restaurant and get food poisoning and you didn't have any thought that there would be an increased risk? You know, what do you do then? I mean, what most most gastroenterologists are saying is just use antibiotics that is as appropriate for the circumstance. Like, for instance, certain um, certain bacteria that give us food poisoning, they need different antibiotics, different than the rifaximin. So as best you can, figure out what you need and take it as early as you can to mitigate the damage, basically. You know, try and kill and get rid of the offending organism as soon as you can. It's not the easiest thing, you know, because different organisms mm-hmm. need different treatment. So it's it's a, it's tough, you know, and it's it makes sense. It makes sense that it's tough because so many people have this. I mean, food poisoning is a terrible, a terrible thing um, that is awful when you get it. You, you, you want to die, you know, it just feels so bad. And um, goodness, in many third world countries, it still kills. It actually kills people. So mm-hmm. it's a terrible, wow. terrible and troubling thing. It's not the easiest thing to just know what to do. Yeah. Yeah, so for you guys listening, we're talking to Dr. Allison C. Becker about SIBO and IBS. And we probably have time for one quick question. So if you guys want to call in, it's 818-495-6919. If you're already on the line, just press 1 and we'll bring you on. And it's just, just time for a brief question because Dr. C. Becker um, gets to hop off and get back to her preparations for her amazing symposium this weekend. Um, question for you would be, let's say you treat SIBO and... The results are negative, but the patient still has some some bloating and some problems. What what are some other things that you would consider looking at? Well, you know, some of the things I think about, even even when I'm first looking for a test for SIBO, is I always like to check the large intestine as well. Um, I know, Dr. Lowe, you do this all the time. You know, run some stool tests and find out, um, some functional stool tests and find out, are there any parasites? Um, is there large intestine overgrowth, bacterial overgrowth, um, or is there yeast? Is there some yeast overgrowth? Those are the those are the obvious ones I think about right off the bat. You know, is the problem maybe mm-hmm. not in the small intestine, but in the large intestine? Um, another another one is is there genetic lactose malabsorption um, that maybe wasn't identified before? Is there genetic fructose malabsorption? You know, within about a month of clearing SIBO, if the SIBO had caused lactose or fructose malabsorption, within about a month of it being of the SIBO being gone, that should clear up. That's enough time for the enzymes to recover but um, and, the, and the damage to, to repair. But if it's not, well, then maybe there was a genetic circumstance that wasn't identified before. So those are, those are mm-hmm. some of the obvious things I think about right off the bat. There are certainly plenty of others, but um, those are the more simple ones to think about right away. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to take a quick call. We have a caller from the 850. You're on Dr. Low Radio. What's your name and what's your question? And we got to keep it brief, please. Go for it. Hi, my name is Lena. Uh, I'm calling regarding my son. He's uh, autistic. We followed the GAPS diet for two years, but after two years, he didn't uh, complete. He didn't heal completely. So we did the CO test, uh, the lactulose, and he was... Um, 
he was positive for both hydrogen and methane. Hydrogen is the dominant one. And also, he, was, he had a high level of D-lactate-forming bacteria. So uh, I was advised to stop the fermented food, the probiotic. Uh, I stopped them, and he showed uh, a good progress, and his symptoms get better. Does that mean that I... I mean, um, the fermented food and the probiotic was causing him problem, or it could be just he was having a lot of die-off from the fermented food, and now um, because I stopped them completely, he's feeling better. So, what's your thought exactly about delactate and how high level of delactate? How's related to SIBO and fermented food? That's a complicated question. <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can um, answer it fairly briefly. Um, D-lactate is it's a very complex topic because when you really look into the research, what you find is that there are some probiotics that produce D-lactic acid and, and others that don't. And so there are certainly some probiotics that should be able to be tolerated just you know, if just the circumstance is somebody has high delactic acid. However, there are also studies that show that even delactate-producing probiotics have been used to treat delactate, um, you know, excess delactic acidosis with, with success. So it's a really complicated topic. That um, so basically, it's not so straightforward. You know, even even those delactate-producing probiotics could help in that circumstance. Um, what I can say is that there isn't a straight-across relationship at all between SIBO and delactic acidosis. Um, it's not like everybody with SIBO or even a majority of people with SIBO have high delactate. And similarly, when we come to um, SIBO and, and fermented foods or probiotics, that's not straight-across either. Um, you know, it's, I wish, God, I just wish people were more simple <laughs> and would all react the same way, and then it could make the answer simpler, right? But um, people are so complex. What I find is that in some people, fermented foods or probiotics really are actually aggravating this, this circumstance. And the reason my theory why, this the SIBO, my theory why is because um, probiotics, the the acids that they make, um, are can be used by other bacteria to be then turned into gas, into hydrogen or methane. So it's possible for someone with SIBO to get their symptoms aggravated by fermented foods or probiotic supplements because it's allowing more substrate, more food, for the bacteria to uh, make gas. But then there are other people who it's not like that at all. Probiotics or fermented food really, really help them, um, really help their symptoms in SIBO. They, they don't get worse bloating. They don't get worse diarrhea or pain. In fact, it gets relieved by them taking probiotics. So this is so confusing because it's, it absolutely depends on the individual. And I think the reasons why are because it depends on that person's particular microbiota. Which bacteria are there or not? How much are they able to turn these acids into um, gases or not? As, as well as other things. Um, 
so, you know, so the best answer I have is you just have to try these things out on each person to see what it does for them. Now, one last thing you said is, could it be die-off? Absolutely. Um, and, and figuring out if something is die-off versus just bad for someone, that's a hard thing for anyone to figure out. It's a hard thing for any doctor to figure out, pulling these things apart. It's complicated. But absolutely, pro- probiotics make uh, make antibiotics. They're called bacteriosins, and they can kill other other bacteria, and you can absolutely be having a die-off reaction as well. So, you know, complicated question, complicated answer. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Doc. I appreciate you taking that caller, and, and I, I would offer a follow-up question, but I know you, you're, uh, you know, you got to head off, so I, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. And, and uh, for, for people who want to be uh, able to tune into your symposium, it's it's this times a lot more, lots of specific information, very empowering information, and great for medical students, for doctors, for general public. So how can they um, how can they be a part of that? Oh, I would just love it. Anyone interested in this, watch the symposium. It's available by live webinar, and um, it's this weekend. And if you want to register, I would suggest just going to my website, seboinfo.com, and right there on the welcome page is um, is the link. You just there's a picture right there for the SIBO symposium. You just hit it, and it will bring you to the page where you can register. And um, I hope that anyone interested will join us. What's what's great about the webinar is that you can actually ask questions. You know, you type them in, and then they'll be transcribed and, and given to us. Well, you know, there's lots of questions, so it may not get chosen, but you can ask your question. And also, um, you get the recording afterwards. So if it's all too much to take in or you get distracted, you can watch it later. You you get a recording. Honestly, the first SIBO symposium that we had, I have rewatched like three times, and I because it's so hard to learn everything, you know, and mm-hmm. we, we forget it. We learn by repetition, you know. And here I am. All I do is SIBO, and for the last five years, that's my only thing. And I'm still rewatching that that webinar to to make sure I've learned everything properly. So. Um, that's a good thing about the webinar. So I would I would just invite anyone who's interested to join us. Awesome. Dr. Sue Becker, thanks for joining me. Have a wonderful evening and wishing you the very best with the symposium. And I know I'll see you, see you real soon. Thank you so much, Lauren. You're so welcome. All right. You guys, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in, and please join us this weekend for the symposium. It's going to be a good time, very enlightening. If you know anyone who's dealing with any of these debilitating kind of symptoms, uh, you know, bloating, gas, constipation, even these other things we mentioned like brain fog, depression, anxiety, uh, someone's restless leg syndrome, fibromyalgia, or anyone with autoimmune disease, have them tune in to the symposium. It will really empower them to know a lot more about their health and get that they need. So check out the website, SIBOinfo.com. Also, if you're local in San Diego, I see patients here in San Diego. I also work with patients all over the country. You've been wanting to kind of, you know, get to the root of some of these issues and these symptoms you're dealing with and you feel like you're not getting answers, I'd love to work with you. You can check out my website, ShineNaturalMedicine.com. It's a bit more about how I practice, what kind of things that I can offer, and I would love to work with you and get you feeling better. Have a wonderful week. Love you guys so much. Thank you for the continued support. You're amazing. If you love the show, please leave a comment on iTunes. I love reading those. They totally brighten my day. And, yeah, have a wonderful week, you guys. Check you later. Bye.
North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline. Help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusions apply. See stores for details.